You're listening to Small But Mighty, the podcast of the Small Nonprofits Alliance, the online hub for Australia's small charities. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode number two of Small But Mighty, the Small Nonprofits Alliance podcast. I'm here with Small Nonprofits Alliance founder, Bianca Crocker. Hi, Bianca. Hi, Kirsty. How are you going? Good. And my name is Kirsty Wallet. I'm a founding partner of the Alliance and also the head of marketing. So episode number two, uh, today we are going to dive into a little bit more practical advice and information for you if you run or work in a small nonprofit. Uh, we are dishing out some marketing and fundraising advice and the idea of this advice is to make it quick and easy for you to implement or as quick and easy as we can for you to implement in your organisation. Easier said than done sometimes, isn't it, Bianca? Absolutely, absolutely. But we've got um, hopefully a couple of um, good tips for you and some practical things that you can at least get started on um, very quickly. So what we're going to do is Bianca and I have picked our top three um, tips or advice or activities that we feel you could implement or start implementing tomorrow in your not-for-profit that would make a real difference to the activities you do and the success that you might have given that we're in a new financial year. So I'm going to throw to you first, Bianca, what's your first tip that you would want to give um, someone who wants to focus on the fundraising or a fundraiser within a small non-profit? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Kirsty. My first tip and if um, anyone has done any work with me before or heard me talk in, in other areas, um, this is something that I do mention from time to time because it is so critical to fundraising success. Um, but even though it doesn't directly result in income coming in, it is critical. So my first point is to get started on your case for support. So a case for support is a document that holds all the information um, about your organisation, your history, your governance, um, but most importantly, why you exist. I want you to tell me about the problem in the community that you're facing and that what the solution is that your organisation is providing against that problem. Um, and this document, the case for support, is basically what you can put together to really show someone, whether it's a potential supporter or current supporters or business proposal, uh, to show them why your organisation is worthy of their support. So um, if you haven't got one of these documents, it's very critical that you do have one. So, And they do take a little bit of time. So sometimes they can just be put on the back burner. But what I'm hoping is that once you've listened to this podcast, you're writing this down, that you're going to have at the top of your list, get your case for support underway. So at least get started. Maybe you block out three hours a week for the next couple of weeks where you can actually get started. I guess that most of you would actually have all the information at some, you know, in some place. It's just a matter of compiling it and then working through that information. Um, if it, even if it's only, you know, a three to four page, really basic case for support, um, that would be my first very key um, tip. So, and also Bianca, for someone who's listening who really just doesn't have a clue where to start and and doesn't have a case for support, um, we actually do have a document, I believe, on the website that can help people get started. 
Yeah, we do. So on the um, small nonprofits com.au website um we have um a document in there that talks about some of the key like a key checklist for your case for support so that would be a really good guide um for you to do that but at a basis um a basic level sorry at least you need to include some history governance you know the problem that you're solving and then um how you're um solving that problem so that's a great starting point, I suppose, for someone who really maybe has put it on the back burner and just really doesn't know where to start. Yeah, absolutely. And if it is something that you've already done, that's fabulous. What I really encourage you to do, unless you've just done it in the last six months, I would really encourage you to set aside a couple of hours this week or next week to review your case for support and edit it and make it a fresh copy for the new financial year. Fantastic. That one's great advice because that really underpins every activity that a nonprofit does, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Because if you are not clear um, and, you know, um, clear and able to articulate who you are and what you do and more importantly, why you're doing it, uh, you're already on the back foot when you go out to do any of your other fundraising or marketing activities. Yes, I was just about to add there too. It makes a um, marketing uh, or a marketer's job very easy when an organisation already has a case for support because it really talks um, to what the key messages are and what the key points are that you want to be getting across in your uh, marketing material as to why people should support your organisation. So my number one is to... It seems really simple, uh, again, but is to schedule or have a schedule for your marketing activities. So whether that's social media posts, so Facebook posts or email newsletters or anything that you do, um, creating a pamphlet. Uh, so what I find with a lot of small organisations and even larger ones as well is that, um, you know, very time poor and often resource poor and people feel very overwhelmed and can often feel like, they're chasing their tail in terms of creating content, particularly for things like social media and email newsletters, and even website as well can come under this. So the best way to do it is to get a really simple Excel spreadsheet uh, planner, which we actually have one also on the Small Nonprofits Alliance website um, that you can access in the News Hub, um, and you can download that um, free template that we've got for you to get started uh, and you can plot in there all of your activities so this really is something really simple that you can do and I recommend you only spend 30 minutes on it every maybe two to four weeks depending on how um, tight your time really is but um, it's something really important to be able to free your mind up to actually get the work done I find that people that feel like they're chasing their tail are people who don't have a schedule and it only needs to be one line of an idea that you've thought about for a Facebook post or a couple of dot points about what your content blocks might be in your email newsletter or the topic or paragraphs or resourcing that you might use for a pamphlet or a flyer um, and you'll find that if you're not doing that already that when you have that you can sit down and when you know, okay, I'm doing some marketing today, if, if you wear a couple of hats in the organisation or if you're the person responsible, you can start every day or every activity where you're sitting down to do some work and really know what you're doing. And it might not sound like that saves you much time, but trust me, if you're not doing it already and you try it, it really does free up your brain power, I think, to 
think about being creative for the content and actually put your energy into creating the content and not trying to think of an idea and under that pressure as well of, oh my God, I'm I'm not ready. I don't have an idea of what do I create? Because that's one of the biggest things people say to me is that coming up with content ideas for marketing and social media in particular is tricky. So this is one thing you can do to just lighten the load a little bit. Um, once you download that uh, Excel spreadsheet and get ready to plan. I recommend you setting a stopwatch if it's on your um, watch or phone or or wh- however you want to time yourself and only spend 30 minutes on it. And if you find it really overwhelming to plan and you're not sure of activities coming up a long way into the future, you don't have to have six months of planning either. You just, two weeks I think is fine. So plan for yourself two weeks of Facebook posts and just see how much time it frees up for you and how much brain power it frees up for you as well. I think that um, the concept of freeing up your brain power is so important, Kirsty. I know just for myself, when I've got so much going on with, you know, running the Alliance and also the work I do with clients for fish, um, it, it, it is sometimes overwhelming because I feel like there's so much going on in my mind and I just want to get it out there. So that idea of scheduling stuff and having a schedule and getting it down actually in a document or on paper really just helps get some of that information out and then allows that room in your mind to know that then you can just go on and and you don't have to worry about it now because you've put something in the schedule. So you worry about when it comes up in your schedule, so to speak. So I think that's a great point. Yes. And the other thing I think it does is give you a sense of achievement before you've even started as well, which is really good for anybody who's a procrastinator or feels like they get bogged down by the amount of work they have or the amount of things they have on their to-do list. It really does free up some of that mental power to really get the work done. So, Yeah, absolutely. What's And so what's your number two, Bianca, for fundraising? Um, my number two, yeah, my number two. Um, so studies show um, us in the charity sector, that a large portion of first-time donors, so those people that have given to your organisation for the first time, actually don't ever give again. So studies show that a large portion of those first-time donors only give to an organisation once. Um, So what I'm suggesting as the second important tip is how are you thinking about your new donors or your first-time donors. I think it's critical to do this because we can spend a lot of time and effort on um, donor acquisition or getting new donors or, you know, doing our marketing and um, trying to uh, get new supporters into our organisations. And that takes a lot of time, um, you know, blood, sweat and tears often to do that. And with the knowledge and understanding that for many charities, a high proportion, up to 40 or 50% of their donors that give once won't come back and give a second time, that's, that's a really useful piece of information that we can use and flip it on its head to make sure we are doing something special or just at least thinking about our new donors in a unique way. And, and allowing that time to think about them. So what I am suggesting that you do here is think about a few ways how you can better engage a first-time donor to your charity. So what are the fir- the few things that you can do in that, you know, um, pro- that you can proactively do to connect 
and then reconnect with that with those people in the first 30 to 60 days of their first donation so obviously they make a donation you send out a receipt that if they're making their donation online that should be obviously automatic but um you know then there might be a thank you letter that goes out whether it's automatic or it's done within the first few days that's fine that needs to happen but that would be happening with all your donations what i'm suggesting to you is you have a little bit of a maybe it's a three or four step process of when you notice it's a first time donor that they've never donated to your organization before, what are you going to do? So it might be that someone gives them a ring, a phone call, and it might happen, you know, a week or two weeks after their first donation to you. But so there's no urgency on that, but it might be that there's a phone call made maybe by yourself, another staff member or board member. Um, it could be that you, um, um, a couple of weeks after that, you send them some additional information saying, again, thanking them and maybe sharing um, a recent project or something that you did the previous year that they may not know about, uh, another success story that you've got with a beneficiary, something that has happened in your organisation in a recent um, times, but perhaps prior to their donation, that you can share about your organisation with them. Just again, it's another touch point and connection for them. What we're really hoping to do is to get those new donors as engaged as we can, as early as we can. But I'm not suggesting we're asking them for any further donations in this point. I wouldn't ask for a second donation. Um, in that first 30 days at all. So it will definitely be anything after that. So this is really, though, not about asking for a donation. You can put that down as the fourth thing on your list uh, if you had four things to do. The fourth thing might be ask for a second donation, but that might come at day 60 after their first donation. So that's what I'm suggesting as my second tip um, today, Kirsty. And that's a fantastic one too because I think, you know, just um, in my experience, we do find people, and there's certainly nothing wrong with it, I suppose, in itself, but people are so focused on new acquisition that they may easily forget about giving a little bit of love to people that are first-time or recent donors um, because I suppose they fall through the the cracks. We have these first-time one-off donors and then we have these um, loyal continuous donors and then they're in the middle I guess not getting much love from from some organizations of these people who don't give again and, and may well do if they're kept in the loop of communication and kept inspired by your organization yeah that's right and it's really it's really just about reaffirming someone's purchase for one of a better word so if you are a person that is new if you think about the for-profit world the commercial world if you think about something that you may have purchased for a first time with a new brand or a service save you went and had your car serviced at a new mechanic and they contacted you a week afterwards with a follow-up email to make sure everything was, uh, was sorry with a follow-up phone call to make sure everything was running smoothly with your car and then maybe two weeks after that, sent out an email with a 10% discount voucher or something, you know, like little things like that really help reaffirm um, our decisions. Like, oh, good, I made a great decision going and using that new mechanic last week because they've been amazing with their customer service. So that's, you know, that's the sort of thing that I'm trying to think about. It's really yep. about reaffirming that first donation so people genuinely continue to feel that goodness that they would have felt um, mm -hmm. because they were obviously once inspired to give to you because 
because they they gave to you. So, yeah, yeah, it's about thinking how to keep them engaged early on before they forget about you. So, Kirsty, what's your second tip for um, for marketing for our small charity listeners? So, my next one is to start planning for a Giving Tuesday activity later this year. So, some of you might have seen the hashtags um, on social media mainly, but also online. Uh, hashtag Giving Tuesday, and that's something that originated, if you're not familiar with, in America as a bit of an antidote for the charity sector to the Black Friday shopping sales. And of course, those are becoming more and more popular in Australia at the moment. And this is a bit of a counteraction um, for all of the money that people send in those spend in those sales, and a chance for nonprofits to, uh, I suppose, have a topic or a theme. Um, and, and a way uh, and a day to create a little bit of action in terms of giving, um, you know, around those other giving highlights that, Bianca, you would be well aware of, you know, throughout the fundraising calendar year of, say, end of financial year, Christmas or whatever your particular organisation might focus on throughout the year. Yeah. So Giving Tuesday isn't as big in Australia as it is in America, but it is getting more and more popular and we are seeing quite a bit of content on social media in Australia now. So I think it's a really clever and uh, way to use your resources because you probably have a social media account or two for your organisation. Um, you might be sending a digital newsletter. And it's a really easy, I suppose, resource light way to be able to jump on the bandwagon of a day that's all about giving and redirecting some of that um, sentiment of giving after the big sales of Black Friday and Cyber Monday and I suppose jumping on board and hitching your wagon to that a little bit as a small non-profit um, to be able to have something else to talk about to your donors or perhaps acquire new ones. So the best thing I can recommend that you do is pop Giving Tuesday Australia into Google, visit the website that's been set up for the Australian Day and pop your email on the newsletter. You'll see you'll be able to sign up on the homepage there. They're going to be releasing some resources. There was a resource pack last year and I believe they're redoing it and there'll be a new one this year where you can really get a lot of information and advice and templates and ideas for social media content and how to do an ask around Giving Tuesday. So, Bianca, you might be able to talk to this a little bit more too, but it doesn't just have to be about asking for a donation, particularly if you're talking to a new audience. You you could just be doing this as a way of some uh, brand awareness, some awareness around your organisation and have an ask in there somewhere. And it could be something as simple as asking for volunteers if that's something you rely heavily on. Um, yeah, that's right. You can definitely try. Like giving doesn't always have to be about dollars and and your point to that M just then, Kirsty, is really good. So giving Tuesday, if if you are trying to attract volunteers because that's important for your organisation, you know, giving can be about um, time, dollars, but also knowledge as well. So you can think of those those three things. The other idea also is that if you already have some sort of end of year campaign or a seasonal Christmas type campaign or ask out there in December, which, you know, most organisations or a lot of organisations do, this is one, this campaign can sort of even be um, giving you an added boost to 
add to that if that's something that you decide to focus on this year. Um, and for smaller organisations, so you may not be that far ahead. So maybe another idea is also to launch your Christmas appeal on the Giving Tuesday. Most most people would be saying, you know, at a Christmas appeal, you should launch it early uh, to mid-November. So you've got a good, you know, five to six weeks in the lead up to Christmas. But you know, for some of us, that's not quite feasible. Just with resources, things take a little longer. The Giving Tuesday opportunity could be a way. Um, I saw a few organisations last year. They use that day to sort of launch into their um, into their annual campaign. Yes, and that's a fantastic idea too. And that's also a really clever way to use your resources as well, so that you're not having to come up with a whole new concept and idea and even copy and images and things that you might be using online. Um, if you can piggyback off something that you would have already done in December, it's an excellent way to make sure that you're not stretching your resources and you're still making the most of this day that really is gaining some momentum in Australia. And I think also um, have a look, um, jump on Facebook in particular and do a search of Giving Tuesday Australia and see what people have posted in the past. Um, also doing a Google search will be able to show you some of that um, and, and really take advantage of those free resources that they will be providing on the website um, and which is going to make your life easier as well in terms of um, getting something together. The reason why I bring that up in July is I think because we all feel like time gets away from us and I know a lot of people within the industry would probably look at that day as it's coming up and think, oh, it's a couple of weeks away because other organisations have started talking about it. And I'm really, again, on the back foot and I'm not sure what we could do here. So even just spending a little bit of time planning it, popping it in your diary, giving it a little bit of thought, writing some notes and maybe leaving it for a little bit later in the year when you do start preparing some of your um, content and material for a December or Christmas campaign um, and then you'll be ready and have that idea fresh there um, to be able to make the most of that day. So, okay. Bianca, what's your third point um, for fundraising? So my third point builds a little on the second to some degree, but it's really around the value of a key word with our donors, which is thank you. So obviously, as I mentioned earlier, people have a, uh, you know, their, their donations are received and they, they send out a receipt and usually a thank you letter is an automated thing that happens pretty easily. Um, what we need to do, though, is, is really in our organisations that are small and don't have a lot of resources, we can sometimes forget about the in-between time. So we can do an ask and then say thank you and send a receipt and then not really have any communication with our supporters until the next time we ask again. Some organisations will have, you know, some um, e-correspondence, usually emails or whatever, but aside from that, there's not a lot else happening. So what I'm suggesting as my third tip is to schedule in your diaries in the next few days two to three times over the next 12 months that you can complete what I would call a donor care activity for your supporters. So Kirsty's already talked about the marketing schedule where that would be your email and all those sorts of things that you might um, communicate with your supporters. But what I'm talking about is a specific donor care activity so, and if you can do those at least two times a year, 
in between your asks and in addition to your emails, um, I think that would be a really, really valuable um, opportunity for your organisation to really connect with those supporters and bring them closer to your organisation and really engage. So a couple of ideas, again, it might be a phone call. So I know um, a lot of organisations, well, not a lot, but a few organisations, they might um, they might make a phone call to some of their supporters in January. Um, supporters that may have, you know, supported the previous year to sort of say Happy New Year, give them a bit of an insight into what they've got happening in the year ahead. Only has to be a couple of minutes on the phone. But, that, but not making an ask, not wanting anything in return, just making a touch point for those people. Um, supporters really love that. So a, a phone call is one um, simple way. And again, if you're low on resources, if you're making a one phone call a year to your supporters, you might split it. You might make half of them in January and half of them in the July or something like that. Um, another um, really lovely donor care piece is a postcard. You know, so you might get a photograph of one of your beneficiaries or of some great um, outcome that you've had that's a really you've got a nice photo of and you might get some of them printed which can be done quite easily and um, effortlessly and you might just write a little note on the back of them or have your beneficiaries write on the back of them depending on your organization if you have a staff member that's working with with your beneficiaries um you might have one of those people write a note on the back of them and it doesn't even have to be you know, anything too elaborate and detailed, it might just say, hey, Kirsty, um, we had this photo taken recently out at our program and it shows so much happiness in little Tommy that we just wanted to share it with you and thank you once again for all of your support. It could just be simple like that. So they're the sorts of little things that don't have to cost um, any money or too much money, um, just a little thoughtful way to show people that you're caring and you're thinking about them and you're really glad to have them part of your organisation. So, yeah, my third tip um, in summary is to schedule um, in at least two times across the next 12 months that you will complete a donor care activity with your supporters. That's such a simple but a fantastic um, idea in terms of donor care, as you mentioned. And I, I guess, Bianca, a lot of organisations may get very focused on uh, donor acquisition um, donor acquisition and the ask yeah. and um, I know there's a real temptation particularly when your budget's small to focus a lot on doing an ask but this flows over into marketing um, I think marketing material as well in terms of not every communication that we have with the donor needs to be nor should it be where we're asking that there's a little absolutely. bit of love in the process yeah absolutely and you know, if if we come back to the root core or the root sort of belief that, you know, really successful fundraising is actually about relationships, successful and strong relationships, and if you focus on that part, the money will come. So if you've got really good, engaged um, supporters who trust your organisation and believe in what you do and feel valued, then the money will will follow. So that's part of what I'm talking about in this third tip. Well, what's your third tip, Kirsty? 
My third one I think is probably my most simple one, but it's based around something that I know a lot of people express to me as a bit of an issue, particularly when creating content for social media. So my third tip is add a little bit of every day into your social media content and start doing it this week because it's very easy to do. And what I mean by that is the whole point of social media is to be able to show a different side of your organization that you can't do through any other form of marketing, whether it's uh, a paper donor letter, a newsletter, an email newsletter, um, a flyer, a brochure, um, even a podcast, for example. So that's one of the really brilliant things about social media. And I'll focus on, in particular, let's talk about Instagram and Facebook because they are the most utilized platforms in Australia and definitely in the world at the moment. So what I'm talking about in terms of that content is to show your supporters, the people that follow your account or your page, um, a little bit of your organization and who you are or what you do every day. And I know a lot of people find this hard. They want all of the communication to be about the cause. And of course, that is the way to do it the majority of the time. You want to be getting your key messages across um, so that people will support your organization and, and so that donors are connected, um, you know, et cetera. But um, one of the best things you can do to maintain a little bit of engagement and that relationship is to show people what really goes on in your organization. It's a little bit of voyeurism, I suppose, and isn't that what social media is all about? Um, I know a lot of personalities that I follow on social media and that I find funny or entertaining are mostly because they're showing me what their life is like, whether or not it's really like that. Um, But I want you to do the same with your organization. So if you're a one-man band and you're the CEO and founder and you're doing all the work, I know that can be a bit tricky, but take a selfie. And listen, in the age of social media, it's not vain. Just think about it in terms of you're doing it for the cause. Show people who you are. Say, this is me. I'm a one-man band and and I founded this organization because I'm passionate about this cause. And if you pop a, a really heartfelt and genuine explanation down with that photo on a Facebook post or a post on Instagram or even in a Facebook group if you have one, I guarantee you people will respond to that. Um, I know it can be really nerve-wracking because a lot of people who found these organizations very humble um, in nature or don't want it to be about them, but in the day and age of social media and digital connection, it really has to be about you a little bit of the time. Um, So that's one example of the content that you could do. And when I say you could do it tomorrow, you really could. You don't have to go and have your hair and makeup done. It doesn't have to be a glamour shot. People will appreciate it being real and a little bit genuine. So don't worry about it looking too professional. Um, Just worry about it looking like you and being authentic. And I think authentic is the key word here. So another example of something that you could do if you have a couple of people in an office or if you have volunteers or you have some sort of Um, activity you do with one or more people in your organization, um, pop a video up or a Facebook live or an Instagram story. Again, it doesn't have to be neatly edited and curated and scripted. Take your phone and video and walk around the office and introduce everyone. And again, I know you might have some shy people, but really bring it back to doing it really to support your cause and you'd be so passionate about your organization. So try and transfer some of that passion into creating that content. And yeah, I that's guarantee such a, you, 
That's such a great idea. Sorry, Chris. It's such a great idea because like you were saying earlier, a lot of people get really nervous and worried about what can they do for their content? What can they do for their content? But this is such a simple one. Sometimes it's so simple. I think it's even overlooked. Um, But I've seen a few different organizations do these sorts of things. And some of the things that they might post or that I've seen them post, um, uh, one I saw recently was uh, the team were doing a social activity. So there's only a team of three people in this organization, but they were going to a movie, which sounds a bit you know, strange to post about, but it was a movie that related to the topic of what their cause was about. So they were doing it as a bit of a team building sort of social, you know, Thursday, late Thursday afternoon sort of thing. And they did a little post of them as they were, you know, at the cinema or whatever it was, which was, that's kind of cool. Um, and another one that I saw recently was when someone was going to have a meeting with a potential partner, um, they, you know, they had a photo of themselves, I think it was before the meeting or after the meeting, I can't remember, but sort of saying that they'd gone to this business and they'd had a really, it was after, cause they had said they'd had a really successful meeting with this business. So little things like that is what you're talking about, isn't it, Kirsty? Yes, that's right. And I think you've really, um, nailed a good point there when you talk about, um, the relevance of the, um, post. So, if um, this team had just been going to the movies on the weekend, maybe not so relevant, but the fact that it links back into your organisation is good and it only has to be a, um, a really basic link. Um, you don't yeah. have to overthink it, but it is that is one very important point. Um, you know, don't put selfies of yourself out on a Friday night with people who aren't part of your organisation because that doesn't make sense. But make sure you're bringing it back to your organisation. That, I think, would be my number one rule for this type of content. And then anything else, use your creativity, your imagination, and do what you feel is genuine and really shows, I suppose, the essence of your organisation. And I think um, this is something that's really easy to do. It's really quick to do. Just remember to keep it simple, authentic. Don't overproduce it um, and try out a few different ideas. Another really great thing you could do if you don't want to, say, walk around your office and introduce staff members, although I do think you should do that at least once. I think it's a great idea, is show <laughs> people part of your process. Um, if you have volunteers coming in and they um, pack goodie bags or giveaway bags, or you have some part of your process where you're supplying a product or um, a resource. If you can show people that you're doing that and show people a little bit of a what I like to call a behind the scenes of your organization, I think people are really interested in that as well. So yeah. um, really open your mind up and and be brave and share what your organization does on the day-to-day Um, with your audience. And I think you'll find you'll be rewarded with passionate supporters and some great engagement on social media as well. Yeah, that's, I think that's a fabulous um, and, and um, awesome final tip out of all of our tips that we're giving here today, Kirsty. So we hope you're going to find those six tips really helpful, three for fundraising and three for marketing. Um, As always, if you have any feedback or if you'd like to request some topics for our podcasts that are like this one where we're going to give you some advice, visit smallnonprofits.com.au and contact us via the contact page or you can email members at smallnonprofits.com.au. So our episode number three of the podcast, which is coming up next month in August, our August episode, is a little bit of a change of track and it's going to be really mainly what this Small But Mighty podcast is about. Um, We are going to speak to real people working in real organisations about 
some of the small but mighty things they're doing in their sector. So uh, next month, Bianca is talking to CEO of the Foster Care Association of Victoria, Katie Hooper, about some of the strategic um, challenges and change that um, she has made in her years at the organisation. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to um, to having that conversation with Katie and um, and hearing how she has worked with her small organisation over the past 10 years that she's been there. And um, while they're still considered a small organisation, they have grown considerably in that in that time. So she sort of reflects on some of, um, she'll hopefully reflect on some of the work that she um, has done there and and you know the successes that they've had and also some of the challenges because um it's not always about uh you know reaching that big goal tomorrow sometimes it's a slow and steady um race which yeah so i'm excited to have that conversation with her um next month i can't wait to listen to it and thanks for today bianca and thank you all for listening to episode number two of Small But Mighty, the Small Nonprofits Alliance podcast. And we hope you tune in for our episode number three in August and we'll be back soon. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Kirsty.